0: This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by Bella Catering. BellaCatering.com.au is where you can find the best catering in Sydney as we're starting to open up from COVID-19. The incredible guys who've been doing it really tough, Bella Catering, uh, are still there. They're still humming along. Get involved. If you now are start to allowed to have a lot of people at your house, why not have it catered? Delicious food, delicious Greek-made food, delicious Italian food, all sorts of cuisine, Unbelievable people. Glenn and Maria, we love them, and uh, they've been so great to their great cohort of folk that they work with, and uh, we've just been really proud that they've been, uh, uh, to, to give them a shout out and as the naming sponsor of this show. Thank you so much for listening to all the President's Minutes. Thank you so much for supporting Bella Catering. It's bellacatering.com.au. Now, as always, let's do this thing.
1: I want to thank you for letting me be on this, uh, be part of this conversation. Let me be clear. Uh, the president just used a Bible, the most sacred text of the Judeo Christian tradition, and one of the churches of my diocese, without permission, as a backdrop for a message antithetical to the teachings of Jesus and everything that our churches stand for. And to do so, as you just said, he sanctioned the use of tear gas by police officers in riot gear to clear the churchyard. I am outraged. The president did not pray when he came to St. John's, nor, as you just articulated, did he acknowledge the agony of our country right now, and in particular that of the people of color in our nation, who wonder if anyone ever, anyone in in public power will ever acknowledge their sacred worth, and who are rightfully demanding an end to 400 years of systemic racism and white supremacy in our country. And I just want the world to know that we in the Diocese of Washington, following Jesus and his way of love, do not, we distance ourselves from the the incendiary language of this president. Uh, We follow someone who lived a life of nonviolence and sacrificial love. We align ourselves with those seeking justice for the death of George Floyd and countless others through the sacred act of peaceful protest. And I, (laughs) <laughs> I just can't believe what my eyes have seen tonight.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today is a friend, um, an, an editor and a writer that I really admire, and uh, the founder, the engine, the perpetual movement machine inside Vague Visages, also senior writer at Screen Rant, um, and a contributor to you know, I think if you can be in the peer group of RogerEbert.com or Ebert Voices, as they call themselves occasionally, um, I, I think that is a very special uh, cohort to be a member of. Um, but he's just a great film mind, and uh, he continues for whatever reason to allow me to write for his drastically awesome publication turned film social media site, Vague Visages. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my distinct pleasure again to chat to my friend QV. Haug. QV? How are you, my friend?
2: Blake. Blake, thank you so much for having me. I, you know, I like to, I like to envision like a, all the president's <laughs> minutes, like a vision board or like a, an obsession wall, <laughs> and I got my name up there with all these great guests. It, it's really an honor. Thank you so much.
0: That's the, the, You know, you talk about that's like when people see the garage open in True Detective. <laughs> and you see Rustin Cole, played by Matthew McConaughey, walk in, and there's just this creepy cork board that has things like Yellow King and Carcosa and pictures. And Woody Harrelson, as the audience, I feel in that moment, is like, oh my God, this guy's crazy. He's lost it. That's kind of my dream. Like, I, I will look in that garage of a wall of like chaos and inspiration, and I'm like, and following leads, and I'm just like, holy dooly. This is, this is these are my kindred spirits
2: you know Blake, it's the same for me with here in my one bedroom in fargo running running my site. it's just like a beautiful chaos you know it somehow <laughs> I, it, it comes together in the end and i uh, i admire what you do so thanks again
0: you're welcome my friend and uh look congratulations for folks if you haven't uh if you haven't stumbled upon my work in Vague Visages, um, you should just go check out the site. Uh, it is now a subscription site, but it really does, for exceptionally reasonable prices, have some of the best voices uh, in in really in film criticism around the world that are contributing, and it's a growing entity. and And right now, more than ever, um, you know, for the for the small couple of bucks that you can subscribe to the mag, uh, it's uh, it's it's giving you a lot of bang for your buck including some of the great guests who've actually been on this show, contribute to Vague Visages as well, which is cool. And occasionally I get to come on there and talk about the apocalypse or mental health in movies and uh, do some other cool stuff. So that's very fun for me.
2: Yeah. I'd love to have you more on the site in the future. You know, I just started the subscription on May 5th it was actually my 40th birthday. Well, and have I've been been,
0: running. With- hey, happy birthday. May 1st <laughs> was my 35th birthday. So we are Torians oh. together
2: hey happy birthday boy
0: happy belated birthday to you I'm, I'm, a,
2: I'm a little bit i'm a little bit old i feel 35 <laughs> i feel maybe 30 but uh you know i've been running vog from home for the last five since i was about 35 34 and on may on may 5th my birthday we, we i kicked off the subscription and so far it's been a good good start and moving forward you know, I think we're in a good spot right now where we can progressively build a budget, pay the writers more, and just keep the site moving forward, and hopefully work with more people like yourself. So I'm I'm excited.
0: Exciting times, and I'm and and, and it's awesome. You know, I'm really lucky. I know kind of a couple of like uh, you know. I know a couple of people who run publications, yourself and Garth Franklin pretty well. And uh, and I'm always amazed by your boundless fervor and your capacity to just have output, coordinate things. It's pretty incredible. So it's really cool to have you on. And uh, if you, you know, just look up QV, you can find him on Twitter at QV QVHard. We, we don't usually talk at, that at the top of the show, but if you're listening, you want to check out the man I'm talking to whilst we're getting into this episode, that's where you can find him. Um, in amongst all the other links that you'll have off to his work, but right now, you and I are staring at Robert Redford, right, right on the press, like right on he, the precipice. He, he's
2: of- right there.
0: He's right here. He's in, right there. In a split diopter shot, he is staring down at a phone, uh. and he's staring daggers at a telephone in in this the fifty first minute. It is a great. It's kind of. I think people sometimes and and i know that i do it like when i remember movies that i'm less familiar with you imagine these two wonderful epic conversations that happen with redford Uh, Going, following down rabbit holes of leads and people. Um, And I think in your imagination, a lot of the time, you merge them together. So there's the early conversation where he's just drumming up bits and pieces of information. And then there's this sort of seminal one that just is a chaotic, beautiful conversation where it's got McGregor and Dahlberg and the weird and wonderful roller coaster that is the conversation as it's unfolding. And then this beautiful sort of chaos and debris of the newsroom, the rest of the chaos that's going on around him that just couldn't care less what he's doing. But all the drama <laughs> and the focus of, of this great minute and the way that it's constructed with Miss Pakula and Willis and obviously Redford himself is like, we are going to hold you. We're going to be engaged on you. These are going to be single takes. You're going to give us everything you got for however long it's going to take to nail it. And so it's such a... You know, both of these scenes, I I relish to talk about because I feel like even when you get done talking about them, there's just so much more. So, um, before we dive into that together, and this minute, and I know that you're very prepared as you always are. What's your relationship with the paranoia thriller and with, um, and particularly with all the President's Men? Well, you
2: know, I grew up in the mid '90s. I was born in the '80s, so around 14. 14- I started really getting into maybe my first wave of fandom, movie fandom. And at the time, my parents were divorced. My mother had moved, my sister had gone to college. My brother had also gone to the service and come back. So here's me, kind of by myself in a way. Not not by myself, but as far as a movie fan, compared to my friends who were more we're all into sports. We're all into movies, but for me, it was a little bit more intense. You know what I mean? Yes. And so at fourteen, 15, I'm going to the VHS store. I'm grabbing anything I can. I'm going to visit my mom in Fargo where I live now. At the time I lived in small town, Minnesota, about a half hour away. And so it was five for five for five. It was illegal. R rated movie rentals. And when that, in the early nineties, in terms of, in terms of, psychological thrillers and this might not be a traditional psychological thriller but there's a movie called juice by (laughs) ernest dickerson and it was starring tupac before i think i I was gonna say does
0: that have tupac in it yeah i'm vaguely familiar because i was right in that independent hollywood you know i was in the quagmire
2: yeah and it just got me it wasn't not um you know it's an action movie slash drama slash thriller but it really, I just, it was something I hadn't experienced before as this white kid from small town Minnesota. And that was 91, 92. Before I knew about Tupac as a musician, Let's say by the mid 90s is when I got more intense with uh, renting movies. And I saw Seven for the first time, which was maybe 90, 95. Yeah. Um, later on in college, Spy Game with Redford, and Brad Pitt, I was probably 21 then, but as far as all the presidents men, I can't remember, to be honest, the first time I saw it, I want to say I was 15 to 18, but I remember not quite being sure what was going on.
0: A totally relatable experience for a 15 to 18 year old of like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not, you know, 100% sure what's going on with this.
2: And I went on to study history and communication so you know 20 25 <laughs> years later it's, it's right up my alley and there's still now I can like yourself I know I can look through each minute and find something and um when I look at it now as a 40 year old in 2020 I just see I'm stunned by it's like the absence of information and all this looming power of course there's Nixon and the movie revolves around Nixon, but it's these other threats that are right there, and and compared to 2020 culture with Trump, you know, Trump is he's obviously the. A uh,
0: couple of times, people on the show refer to him as Nixon squared, which I enjoy as a <laughs> strange mathematical <and> I, <laughs> uh, phrasing
2: of that. Nixon squared, yeah, but I think. In, With Trump, you know, now it's uh, like he's blatantly trolling, you know, you go back to Watergate and there's Nixon, but then there's all these other people and Hoffman and uh, Bernstein and Woodward, you know, what I like about how the movie begins is that you don't see those two together for a few minutes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but
0: they don't have their... It's about 10 minutes. About 10 minutes they don't, they're not really (laughs) interacting with one another, yeah.
2: And I think that's what turned me off as a teenager. I wasn't quite, I didn't get the big movie star moment. You know, think of it like this, you know, let's say we're in, a, let's say I'm a 15 year old and you're inviting me onto your podcast. You, I'm your cousin, Quinn, you know, and you're, uh, <laughs> I'm a big movie fan. How am I gonna, how am I gonna, this is gonna come up in the minute discussion later, but I'll bring it up now. You know, as a 15 year old, I would just look for the movie stars redford hoffman things i could identify with and now there are just so many little details minute to minute and uh yeah let's get into it
0: all right well let's do this thing uh we are going to watch the 51st minute of alan J. cooler's 1976 masterpiece all the president's men for folks who have followed this show along i haven't done this sort of like disclaimer message Um, as much but I'll just do it again basically every single version of all the President's Men should be the same so if you're watching this on VOD or Blu-ray or I believe there's some like uh, some folks you can get like a special Warner archive access so you can watch it and it's like basically the untampered with credits. The only difference between the theatrical card and the Blu-ray, what I understand, is the Warner logo. So for example, you know, uh, we talk about on this show, I think way too much because of their intersecting qualities, but, um, you know, in Zodiac, Finchip, you know, made the point just like Ben Affleck did with Argo and, and, and other things to have the 70s logo. So if you're watching in a very, very... If if you have a reel-to-reel and you're you're screening this for yourself in your house, the only difference technically should be that. So, right, if you go to 50 minutes on the dial, if you watch that now with QV and I, we're going to watch this minute together, this great sort of bit of journalistic agony and uh, relationship building together. And uh, we're going to come back and talk about it.
1: Please speak to Mr. Clark McGregor. One moment, I'll Thank you. you. Thank you. Yes. Mr. McGregor. Yes. This is Bob Woodward of the Washington Post. Hello. Yes. Uh, this is Bob Woodward of the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. I just spoke to a Mr. Kenneth Dahlberg, who says that he is Midwest Finance. Chairman. Yeah, I know Ken Dahlberg. Well, I can't seem to get an explanation on why a check for $25,000 made out to Mr. Dahlberg that he apparently sent to the committee to reelect the president would end up in the bank account of a Watergate burglar.
0: I don't know. I don't know why a $25,000 check from Mr. Ken Dahlberg uh, has, uh, has gone into a bank account of a Watergate burglar. What a great question. What a great framing of a question. It is like loaded like a weapon. Great little minute.
2: And notice notice how how Redford speaks as Woodward. You notice that out speak in his tone. Yes. What's the question he, he says to him? I'm from the Washington Post. Like I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> you know he's not quite he's not quite uh, authoritative with his his phone call or you know the traditional uh, newsroom the jur- newsroom journalist. You know, tell me what you know. You know he's you know, he's not quite sure. The second time around, he's a little more comfortable asking the question, but um, I think that you know that speaks to to Goldsman's script and and perhaps working with Redford I and mean, maybe I don't know how that turned out when they're actually filming, but it's a nice little nugget for me as to how how Redford uh, reacts to his his uh, that phone call.
0: It's it's really good because the run up to the question, you don't know if it's going to be as good as it is. Like you said, there's a hesitation in his voice. He sorts of, he's like, oh, you know, this is Bob Woodward from the Washington Post. It's kind of like very rote and it's not confident. But When he gets McGregor on the phone, it's this beautiful, like, I don't know. I want to use the word language, like the way that he delivers it. It's like, can you explain to me? It's the impossible to not answer question. It's like, you know, Mr. Dobber. yes, I do. Can you explain to me? I'm going to give you every out here, basically. You explain to me how the twenty five thousand dollars from Mister Dobbo got into the bank account of a Watergate burglar, and so then that person has to lie, or essentially, essentially perjure themselves um, on the phone to him. But but I just love I. This minute, particularly QV, which is why I was so excited to talk to you about it. Is I love silence when you can and, – and people's – and particularly great actors' ability to convey complex emotions and and desires in just – you know, he's staring at an inanimate object. He's staring at a telephone. There's a humdrum of an office. And he's taking this emotional run-up to like, okay – I've got to. have got to make this call, and I've got to skewer someone with this information. Like I have to. I have to get this down. I have to get someone on the record about this. And I think what leads up to and, and what the sort of arc of this whole conversation is is that really, you know, that that the formulation of that question to like get that to to make mcgregor in that moment be culpable for his answer is i think it's just such a beautiful it's like like you said it's a beautiful turn of phrase with the script it's a beautiful use of redford as an actor it's it's a really it's it's terrific and
2: what i love what i love now you know 25 years ago i would have looked and saw the close-up on Redford. i would have saw his wedding his wedding ring like oh there's a movie star the character's married <laughs> he, he's not quite sure what he's doing you know earlier in the film you know he doesn't even know who uh I can't remember the character, but he doesn't know who like one of Nixon's who's main Char- guys is.
0: He doesn't know who Charles Colson is, the special advisor to the president. <laughs> no, he doesn't know who Charles Coulson is.
2: It's, what's so beautiful to me about this shot visually is that the biggest statement, I would argue, is that I shouldn't say the biggest statement, but what really is poignant about this shot is that the way Willis slowly zooms in. Into Redford's psyche as Woodward, and this goes back to two minutes before when the scene starts. You know, there's the wide shot, and this the re- recurrent theme in the film where foreground, background. It goes to the to the final shot, which is probably my favorite shot of the film with mm-hmm. uh, Nixon on the small left, and then Bernstein, Woodward, TV in the way columns in the middle. Like to me, that's just like visual symmetry. Like I love that stuff. Yes. When I look at this, this minute, you know, just the frame compress, I mean, you can you can interp- interpret this a variety of ways, depending on your, how you approach the film. You know. It, you know, you can see Redford, the movie star, you can see what he's bringing visually, his mannerisms, you know, to me, like Redford, the character, Woodward reminds me of my father, like, I can't quite, Gauge what he's thinking when I talk to him. He's already (laughs) thinking about He's already thinking about the next question. He's not necessarily listening to everything that I'm saying, but he's taking notes, you know, and (laughs) but on the the other side of the screen, you know, there's all this other stuff going on behind Woodward's back and um, but visually, you know, there's these columns. There's but, the. But you just brought up tight. a great.
0: You brought up a great point. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say that yep. one thing that Gordon Willis hates and is on the record hating is zooming in mid scene. He hates it.
2: Really, I didn't know that.
0: He's not a fan of it at all, at all. And so when he's doing it, he's usually doing it in collaboration or because of the, the the filmmaker that he's making it with is seeing the scene like that. So. This glacial zoom, because in his mind, it is a distracting thing. It's something that can distract from what, you know, the the zoom is like taking, is a way to take you out of it. So what I love about this scene is that it is a glacial, it is not only just a really subtle and glacial zoom and reframing, it is also the body language of Redford sitting back in the chair keeping the pace and then when he moves in and leans forward and like we're talking together so (laughs) you can see what i'm doing um uh, like but he's like leans in when he leans in and closes the distance between us and you know uh woodward and us and you know or the audience as he's, he's sort of going closer to that fourth wall there is then that very very minor adjustment that brings you into that closeness and so it's it's one of those rare scenes of the movie where a zoom happens mid-frame because everything is orchestrated to perfection. Um, and usually, like you said, the symmetry of the scenes are so important. But this scene is just that very calculated thing, that very, you know, there is a personality and there is the the walls are closing in. And this is such a critical moment. And the focus on Woodward becomes paramount. It's like the movie puts blinkers on just for a second and says, hey, you really need to be paying attention right now.
2: Exactly, And you might not notice it the first time, you no. know, this is why it no. rewatches are-
0: <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, re- rewatches so are so important. You never, like, it's imperceptible <laughs> the first, at least few times, I think.
2: But- you go you go back two minutes, there's this complete wide shot, Yeah, and it's just Redford, and then all of a sudden, like, it's just his face. And he's, in my minute, he says, his last line is but you you were the head of the committee sir and <laughs> spilling over into the next minute what does he say <laughs> you know sir we don't have a relationship and here's this close-up on him he's seconds earlier he's not quite he's a little hesitant but within this short amount of time you know he's 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 connected the, the dots and what what I like about Woodward or Redford's portrayal of Woodward is that he's not as showy as as Hoffman's Bernstein. You know, Hoffman's kind of gliding around the newsroom and uh, kind of knowing that people are looking at him, and he's, <laughs> he's got he's got this, his hair doing his really rather tight jeans and just kind. Of, I mean, it's the seventies, I know. Again, I but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I guess. Woodward reminds me of someone kind of from my neck of the woods where it's they're not they're not always easy to read, you know. He's maybe as evidenced earlier in the film. He's not exactly, you know, he's not up to speed with who everyone is, all the main players. But he's he's figuring it out, you know, and uh, yeah, he's hungry. He's not. He's he's
0: he's, he's hungry. He's, he's hungry. He's hungry. And- I think that that's a good – that's an observation that, you know, you can tell that kind of – that true Midwest ethos of like not easy to read, not hyper-emotional, but I think it's also a huge bit of – I don't know how to describe it sometimes or how to articulate often, but it's like a huge gutsy thing for Redford to kind of like – when you really know what your talent is. And to have a filmmaker really groom that talent for you, like in Willis and 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 then obviously Pecoula. Um because
2: he I, can't. You know, he can't, sorry he can't
0: oh, sorry. Go. Go. Go.
2: I was just, I, recently had Jason Bailey on from cricket Marquee, and he made a good observation about Redford. Just um, think, you know, thinking, thinking Redford, and mm. I don't know if that's what you're referring to. Yeah, but I, I was. This is a great moment.
0: Yeah, this is thinking Redford, but it's also, you know, I think that that's his whole strength. It's like, how do I show that I can hold my own? If I'm this classic movie matinee idol, beautiful man, how can I hold my own in a world of Dustin Hoffman's and Gene Hackman's and and Al Pacino's and Robert De Niro's? And how he holds his own is inversion. Like, it's just stillness and thinking. And he so trusts Pacula here to just take, like – This scene is just all about how I can stare at a phone and think things or, you know, you know, conjure up questions that may or may not be great. And I, yeah, like, you know, jason was spot on with it and i think you're spot on with it i just love your midwestern actual experience sort of shining through of like these guys and their generations and the generations who are above them they're they're not guys who are easy to read um and so in that way so much of woodward is that sort of midwestern throwback that kind of cowboy energy um but he comes in here and and it's despite the lack of experience it's the directness that we we crave from him and and being able to be direct but cordial and uh, he's very good at extracting information. I think with those two elements, but it's it's a uh, it's fun how you say it. it reminds you of your dad. I don't know what this guy is oh, yeah. always thinking.
2: And there's even something about the pencil that he's holding because for years, my father would wear wear a pencil in his ear. He's a contractor. He builds homes, and that was just his thing. Like people would know that my dad wore a pencil in his ear. Here, Redford is holding the pencil. He- He's careful with how what he's saying, he's not quite sure how he's saying it. And for me, that's just and the characters or Woodward is from Kansas, right? I believe that's where he's from. So it's, it's total Midwestern. As I watch this as a native uh, Minnesotan, you know, that's that's my observation. <laughs> on with, uh, with Bernstein, I'm not sure, do you know where Bernstein grew up? Uh is he an East Coast guy? Or,
0: yeah, he's 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 East Coast. He's been working in newsroom since he was sixteen. I think he's Washington through and through, like where he's from. And yeah, obviously, and obviously Hoffman is a quintessentially sort of East Coast guy. I'm
2: yeah, just... Hoffman's got a little more a little more uh, flavor with how he moves around the newsroom. And yeah, I, I love the scene earlier where he he notices Redford's copy, Woodward's copy, and he he grabs it and, and he fixes it. I'm not. I can't quite tell if he knows that Woodward is watching them. He doesn't. <laughs> he takes and the, the dose of the great uh, Woodward line. You know, it's not uh, You know what? It's not what you did. did how say it? I don't. It's,
0: know. it's not what you did. It's how oh, you yeah. did it.
2: Yeah. So what? What do you think as as an Australian? Like, what's your interpretation of these characters? Like, at least in these first uh, fifty minutes, and especially this particular scene.
0: My thought of both of them is that they're sort of incomplete without one another. Um, And it's less about, I think some people talk about it in terms of like, oh, they needed each other to learn. But it's like when you work really closely with people that you admire and they have qualities that you wish you had, you kind of steal them, not steal them in a bad way. You kind of absorb them. You're like, that's really good. Right. Like that's really good how that person does that. I like that. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and see if I can put that into my arsenal. And so I think that what is what's starting to happen and this is like the real gestation of it in this movie is these guys have started to be around each other enough that some of those qualities like Woodward's earlier qualities are all about very casually deliberately asking nice questions and sort of extracting information slowly, but he doesn't ever really up to this point in the film, go for the jugular. And what I love here is we now start to see Wood would go for the jugular. Whereas we kind of expect Carl to completely blunder in and go for the jugular without any finesse. It's cool here to watch that. And so I, that's what I start seeing in these two. So Bernstein, the real Carl Bernstein born and raised in Washington, DC, mm-hmm. university of Maryland, 16 years of age, working in the Washington okay. Post newsroom. Like he is as East coast as they get. And, 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 and in, Deep, deep inside that, you know, that that whole um, experience. But I, I love here, Woodward is, you know, he's the glamorized Hollywood version of the real Bob Wood, but it's like this big, beautiful, strapping throwback of a guy comes in a little bit out of place, um, uh, much more polite and cordial. But, yeah, I think that, uh, and, and he needs to learn that, to be more incisive and direct, and I so, I so I think both of these guys start to. This is the kind of beginnings, and this is what's so great. Mm-hmm. It's like the the movie sort of saute of these two characters and personalities that start going. Look, I'm never going to be you, and you're never going to be me. But sometimes I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go. That's good, you know. And I it, I've worked with many writers, or you work with people that you you know different workplaces, and if even if it's even if it's just someone, you know, you work in a factory, and the way they drive a forklift, you're like, man. He does that smart. Like he goes that way. He puts the, you know, he puts the prongs up here because it's faster for him to get the forklift. You know, they, you know, there's just these little touches of effortlessness and things that people do better. And so that's what I love about, I love about this minute because it's so him, but it's also him starting to grow out of that green guy who had no clue Charles Colson was. And it's the guy who's starting to, you know, this is him becoming self-aware and really honing his craft of like, I'm going to ask really incisive and direct questions that are really hard to get out of because this is how the story breaks.
2: And I think, in my experiences as a Midwesterner, sometimes all it takes to really connect with someone from a different—for uh, example, I lived in Hollywood when I was in my 20s, and yeah. there was this. I'm from Fargo, so people <laughs> automatically think of the movie Fargo, you can't,
0: you can't which help I hadn't, it. I hadn't,
2: I hadn't seen when I moved there. <laughs> um, believe it or not, but sometimes you know, people just want to know that. That you're gonna stand up for yourself, and now like, here's what I know, or at least I'm trying. Yeah, I'm doing my I'm doing my best here, and we're we're just getting there after a rough after after figuring things out. And I like overall, I like the tone for all the presidents men. Where there's nothing like you don't have the confident guy chewing on gum or eating snacks to convey that he's the confident guy. Nah, um, well Hoffman, you know he's. There's a little flamboyance, but it's not distracting. You know, he's he's just the guy that's been around the block. He can take up on that. He he's not a total hey, ass when he
0: he comfort smokes. When he, that's about his, his his nervous tick. He's smoking yeah. a thousand cigarettes a day.
2: You know, I think he's just trying to figure things out in his in yeah. his own way, trying to get up the ladder and. And
0: But it's also overcoming cynicism, right? That's the major difference. Is like Wilbur can come yeah. in pretty fresh and you know, that's Carl's biggest thing is he's gotta overcome the cynicism. Imagine and I and I find this hard to imagine myself. Imagine, you know, you and I, um, uh, passionate film fans, you know, worked in, in adjacent to this industry and especially you running a publication as as you do. The thing that I think about all the time is like and, and I and I crave talking to the journalists that I've talked to on this show about it. It's like, and my best friend particularly, like she was a prodigious journalist, went into a newsroom at 16 as well. And, you know, she was on the crime beat within a year. And you're like, imagine being 16, 17, going to crime scenes all the day, like being on police beat. Like it's, it when by the time you hit 30s and 35 and 40, you're like, you've seen some shit. And so I think that, even though he's sort of in his twenties here um, at Bernstein, the, the character um, he's, he's definitely seen some stuff. He's definitely been around the block. And, and so I, I think that that's where he can, he can stop immediately seeing conspiratorial things in every single person. He's got to look, try and find some goodness in the people that are giving the that are going to give him the information. I think that that's what he absorbs from, from, from working with Woodward. Or the wooboo that is portrayed yeah. in this movie.
2: Yeah, I think that time, you know, early seventies. Now, I mean, I do everything home now, online, and I've never been in the newsroom. I, growing up, I always thought about that, especially watching this movie, watching Zodiac, like, <laughs> and just really get into the heart of the story. But my reality is that this is what I do now. I work from home, and I think at hard. I'm not. I often get frustrated, um, just from day to day, just like like everyone else, just trying to get by, and do your thing. But but I'm really an optimist. I just, I just try to. I think I got this from my my parents, you know, just to think about the bigger picture, which I think this movie is all about. Like, what's really, what's really, or at least on one level, like what's really going on. Yes, you know, it's not, it's not. You know, this Nixon, but it's also, you know, the final Deep Throat reveal that Jason just spoke about. Or maybe that was the first Deep Throat scene. But the final Deep Throat reveal is what? You know, it's FBI. You know, there's it's everyone. You know, that's the... And in the end, you know, the, mo- the movie comes to this beautiful place where they get the job done, they're working together, and history plays out, but there's still there's still that looming threat. And yeah. that's what I grapple with. I agree. That's what I grapple with today. Just just trying to to work my t- trying to figure out how to navigate through everything and what my insecurities about what I what I haven't done. But still knowing what I can do and then I'm at least trying like Woodward and, and like Bernstein too. You know, they're all everyone's got their different story. Um I'm here in Fargo. You're you're in Australia, but we're we're working together on this, and uh, that's that's when I, you know, from minute one, there's just it's. Um, I can't remember who on your podcast spoke about this, but about it being a comfort film. You know, there's so many different layers to approach this. The horror, the horror of not knowing like what the hell's going on and what can happen, <laughs> but then also knowing that. You're within this group, and you're within these a uh, community, and some you know a lot of people just want to be recognized as being part of a group, which is what which is what Woodward and Bernstein have. You know,
0: I think that that's the like that's that great community that these guys find in this new gym. That's one of the things that I crave when you talk about the comfort. Like, um, you know, as much of uh, I, I don't think there's more alluring a thought for me right now is the prospect of you know imagining all the great people that we we know and we talk to and that you interact with on uh, on vague visages or and that i work with at at different publications just imagining us all getting to work in a newsroom together (laughs) i just just imagine just hammering away (laughs) on a typewriter you know having a cigarette like i just like oh wouldn't Wouldn't it be so good if just like there were little partitions and all of us were just like just grinding together in like a big space like it would be (laughs) it would be such a different life Uh, you know and especially now in, in isolation as we're recording this and in quarantine to a large extent and things are starting to open back up but you know the very concept of having a whole bunch of people around it and you're all working together or people you can bounce ideas off of that make you better. Like I just, you know, that that's, I think that's where the comfort comes in, especially right now.
2: And I think that's what the film, another thing the film highlights is that the sense of uh, professionalism Yeah. where um, uh, these, I think to your point, you doing what you do in Australia, myself here in Fargo, whoever you are working from home, you learn how to adapt and see what you need to do. And then, just like you said, just imagine if we all came to be in the same oh. place. I mean, sure, there'd be a few parties, There's be a few <laughs> a half, a few, half hours gone wrong, maybe. But we'd all have this, um, and I think that's where we're all headed, to be honest, is that with you know my new subscription service, ultimately, that's what I wanna do, is have a staff and have a community, a, a, community at least at some point in the physical we're all physically in one spot you know some people would work for, remotely but um, but i think what we're all doing now is especially now especially now through covid-19 learning what learning more about yourself learning more about your process i mean you're working harder than ever i'm sure i've been doing the same routine pretty much just grinding you know yeah I, I, and once you and once you I was gonna say once you do get that one once you get that break, whether it's you moving or maybe you want to stay in Australia, maybe you want to move <laughs> but whatever it is um, well, well let's stop there. what do you want to do moving forward uh
0: that's it. That's a question I haven't been asked on this show. Oh, Look, I, I don't know. I don't know about moving. I don't, I don't know about moving. Moving, sca- moving scares me out of Australia or out of New Zealand right now. The prospect of moving to the Are states the fam- scares. Yeah, scare, scares me. One, F- two, family. You- I, and I can tell you on this show because it'll be recorded. It's recorded after yesterday. I actually went and got a COVID nineteen test. Like I went and got one because I was feeling a little bit run down, as you can imagine. Um, I have been working harder than ever on a couple of these upcoming projects. And I was like, oh, I should do the due diligence. And I was there like, if you feel sick, you should just go get tested to make sure that you don't have it. So I went and got the test. Um, Fortunately, negative. Hilarious, which is excellent. Um, um, <laughs> good news, uh, very, very good news. Got a text message on the on the registration service, sir. Your results are negative. Well done. I'm like yes. I went and hugged my kids. Right. Uh, I went and hugged my kids. I went and hugged my wife. It was exciting um, because you have to isolate after your test just in case you have it. And um, but yeah, I I don't I don't know, but I I definitely when I imagine like you know, uh, a scenario of what my favorite thing in the world could possibly be. I think about this scenario. I think about like, wouldn't it be amazing to work with the great people that you love working with to produce content and art and, 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 and things for people in, a, in such a way that it was consumable and people wanted to do it. Um, and, and also I still fantasize about like, it's not just like having the, you know, working from home aspect and doing that sort of stuff. I still fantasize about the prospect of having a, a team. Like, of working with a team of people doing this. Because I just know what it's like when you work on it, you know, whether it's a sporting team or whether it's anything. It's like if you work with really great people, they just push you. And I think every single person in the whole world has probably watched The Last Dance to this point. You think all those players got good because they played with each other or because they played with Jordan you know like I think right. sometimes sometimes yeah you need all, all sorts and so I, I fantasize about this idea of being like you know imagine the murderers row lineup you could have of some of the great film writers that you and I have both worked with and being like wow yeah. we've just got this amazing murderers row of people that are all around us and you get to watch them work and you get to shoot the breeze with them and you're like shit that's a really good you know way of thinking about something I, I had a problem in what I was working on but if I apply that lens to it maybe it'll come to life and it's just you know you hear about it with comedians talking about it um all those sorts of things comedians talking about uh you know uh, how like they go up at a comedy store they 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 do a bit then one of their colleagues will help them tag it up and you know laugh at it if it's great or say "Oh, oh i love this bit and there's just those sorts of things that you like you imagine in those teams that could be amazing you're like whoa that could be the dream that that that's well, sorry not could be the dream that is the dream but it's just like what that looks like now in post-covid time is is different but it's always something i've always thought about it's you know it's and envious of places like the ringer and things like that uh for their for their amazing cohort of great people that work together and do podcasts and write about things that are cool and and those sorts of things they seem to have sort of nailed it um but yeah i guess that you know talking a, about a dream it would be like that like having a space fun content but just great people pushing each other to write really great stuff and produce really great stuff
2: yeah i brought up traveling because i've had the best times of my life traveling and it's been a few years um i've been since 2012 since i've been here in fargo i haven't really gone anywhere to be honest i've been to see family and in vegas and phoenix and went to california once but when i was younger like my life changed when i went took a a a euro trip or when i went took another trip to italy i lived meanwhile i was living in hollywood california just blocks where the ringer is now i'm like now it would just be ideal to live blocks from like a place like the ringer or whoever yeah just to be in closer proximity to that opportunity i can still Pitch from afar, of course, but yes. I, I I do love traveling. It's my dream to to take the website around the world and to meet all the different writers. Come down to Australia. Go. You're welcome. Wherever
0: you you you've got a tour guide if you ever come to Sydney.
2: Yeah, man, I would I would love that. I would love that. But, are, we, are we still talking?
0: Francis? <laughs> I think this is a I, good pla- I, I, I think this is a good place to wrap up because I think that right now um, we can plan. We can plan your next trip to Sydney, but QV, look, I, I, I cherish talking to you because uh, you at least ask questions sometimes that I haven't been uh, able to confess myself, and that's part of every great podcast. And I love, uh, I love being able to imagine that that ethos of a midwestern guy who wears a pencil in his ear that's such a you know i think you know different people in his life in oz and i've got friends who are like that i've got myself who's like that sometimes i wear a pencil in my ear when i'm pottering around the house doing things and and people are like why do you got that there and i'm just like just in case it's all right just in case i have an idea or I think of something i need to scribble it down um so i've loved having you to chat about this and uh and just look thank you so much i, I might let you Say better than anyone else, um, everything about Vague Visages and everything that's going on there, because uh, you know it, it's 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 all happening. So, uh, do you want to give a shout out to the folks who are listening about everything that's happening with Vague Visages uh, going forward?
2: Yeah, well, I just have three monthly subscription plans. I have a monthly at two ninety nine per month. Um, I have a quarterly plan, two dollars a month, which is five ninety nine every three months. And I have a yearly plan at 11, $11.99 eleven eleven ninety nine. U.S. per month, which is $1 a month. So whatever you can do, just, I urge you to check out the site, see what you're doing. And um, if you like what you read, like what you see, hopefully you can support us. And regardless, uh, it's uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast and I appreciate everyone paying attention to my little film site from Fargo. It means a lot. So <laughs> thank you, Blake.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you, to Thank you, thank you for being a part of the show. Um, thank everyone for listening, and uh, and and I just want to say a huge thank you to again uh, for your time.
2: Thank you, sir. Take care.
0: That was the incredible and lovely QV Haug, which you can find on Twitter at @qv_hough, um, and you can go to his great site. Vague Visages or Vague Visages which is V-A-G-U-E-V-I-S-A-G-E-S dot com and it is now a subscription service but it literally has an incredible array of film writing of music writing uh, long and thoughtful essays terrific writers um, outside of myself um, that you should check out so uh, please do that if you want to support One Heat meter Productions the very best thing that you can do right from the start is share and like and tell people about the show. If you're having a good time listening, please share and share a like on any of your socials. We'd really, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, if you know anyone that is, you know, someone who's keen to listen or someone that you think you'll like of the show, send them a text with a link. Uh, we're available on basically every single podcast service. OneHeatMinute.com is where you can find us. You can find everything about the show. And uh, at ATPM pm pod on Twitter. We'll catch you on another episode of All the President's Minutes very soon.